Welcome to Roundhill Radio, the podcast from Roundhill Community Church. Through our conversations, we discover the holy and the ordinary, find moments of grace and peace, and redefine what we're talking about when we talk about faith. Welcome to Roundhill Radio. I'm Leslie. I'm Ed. Hey, Ed. Good morning. Good morning. So we just finished a four-week podcast Bible study, which was yes, the first we time we've ever done that. And I loved every minute of it, I have to it say. Was fun. If you haven't listened to it yet, please go do so. Um, but listen to this one first. Finish this episode <laughs> first. And then go back. Of course, you can find us here on YouTube or SoundCloud or wherever you get your favorite podcasts. Mm. We're with this everybody. would be the favorite. Oh, of course. <laughs> yeah, just look up Round Hill Radio uh, and you can find us pretty much anywhere. But you found us now. So thanks for listening. Hallelujah. <laughs> for the month of December, we were kicking around ideas about what we wanted to talk about. And we had delved into text in our Bible study. And so we're going to kind of do the same thing in December, but we're going to play around with our favorite Christmas hymns. Mm-hmm. Um, and in the words of the song, we need a little Christmas right this very minute. <laughs> yes, we do. Christmas come soon. Yes. So we could use yeah. it. I, I have set up my, my Zoom background here to bring a little Christmas cheer. Very um, impressive. I spent a lot of time in this chair, so I figured I would uh, make it feel festive like the rest yes. of my house. <laughs> well, you've done a great job. Thanks. Thanks for making me happy. So we are today discussing the hymn, It Came Upon the Midnight Clear, which I always think about as such a, such a poetic hymn. Yeah. You know, lots yeah. of hymns will maybe tell stories. And I think this one just has beautiful, beautiful text. So why don't you, um, do you want to launch us in with some some fun facts? Yeah, I'll launch us in with some fun facts. I'm going to just read the first stanza of this hymn, just to give a sense of what you're talking about, because I agree with you, Leslie. It's, it's beautiful poetry. And actually... Um, Part of the key to this is that Edmund Sears, who was the, the composer or the writer of the, of the words, uh, was a poet. He developed that, I think, that fondness for poetry early in life and certainly practiced it in college because he won a poetry award when he was an undergraduate student. So um, this, I, I have to just confess here, full disclosure, this is actually one of my favorite Christmas hymns. And so I was really glad that we had an opportunity to discuss it. So it, it, uh, this is the first stanza. It came upon the midnight clear, that glorious song of old, from angels bending near the earth to touch their harps of gold. Peace on the earth, goodwill to all, from heaven's all-gracious king, the world in solemn stillness lay to hear the angels sing. That's so wonderful. And each each verse uh, actually ends with the two words, angels sing, which yes. I think is such a lovely, a lovely way to do that. Um, I was reading about him and about his writing of this hymn. Mm-hmm. And remember we use, when we say hymn, we mean the text um, as a friendly reminder. We'll also talk about the tune that it's, you. I'm sure you were singing in your head while Ed was reading that. Uh, we'll talk about that in a minute. Um, that he, there isn't, mention of Jesus in this hymn. That's right. Um, And that's for a particular reason, isn't it? I think so. Um, So part of the background to Edmund Sears, 
I'll just give a quick little snapshot and then get to your question. Uh, he was born in Western Massachusetts, so he's a native New Englander. And here's the little fun fact that I was mentioning to you, Leslie, but I'll share. He went to Union College in Schenectady, New York, and so did I. Hey! So there's a little kinship, and I did not know that until you invited me to do a little bit of background <laughs> reading on this, this man. And so hey. I thought that was interesting. That's where he won a poetry prize. He went to Harvard Divinity School. And his religious background is that he was a Unitarian. And at the time, Unitarians distinguished themselves from other Christians who were Trinitarians. So in our, in our language and in the music that we enjoy at Round Hill Community Church, there are frequent references to God as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. So this is a very ancient view that God is one, but is known in three different expressions as Father, as Son, as Holy Spirit, we would say then today, one God, mother of us all. Mm -hmm. So that language was not language used by Unitarians who believed in one God. They tended not to believe in the divinity of Jesus Christ. So those two views distinguished them from many other so-called Orthodox Christians of the day. Mm -hmm. And so I suspect that's why uh, Sears did not make a reference to Jesus in this hymn. He was really, he does make uh, a reference, however, to heaven's all gracious king. Mm -hmm. So I think he's, he's referring to God there. And Unitarians believed that Jesus was an inspired prophet, was a wisdom teacher and a person of spirit, but they didn't view him for the most part uh, in terms of that divinity. I did find an interesting reference uh, in one of Sears' writings where he claimed that he did believe in the divinity of Christ. Hmm. So that actually distinguished him from the Unitarians. He'd be a, he'd be a perfect member for Round Hill Community Church, just kind of his own person. Yeah, <laughs> you know, taking a little here and a little there and bringing really claiming his religious journey, though. But to your question, I suspect that's why he even if he did have that belief, you don't see it really explicitly in this hymn. Does that make sense? That's Absolutely. Yeah, that's that. so interesting that, you know, we have this lens that through which he was writing. So um, when I was doing my own research for today, I have <laughs> I have this amazing book I've had for, for, for decades. You can tell by the number of post-it notes that are hanging in it. This is Then Sings My Soul, 150 uh. of the World's Greatest Hymn Stories. Uh, by Robert Morgan. So thank you, Robert Morgan, for being a helping hand to me over the decades. Um, and it has in here a wonderful story about it came upon a midnight clear. It even mm. includes a version of the music. It actually has, he included three, uh, three verses. Our, mm -hmm. I have books. Our chalice hymnal <laughs> has four. And actually in this book, he, he, he gives a stanza that um, has not been, included in many hymnals, which is yet with the woes of sin and strife, the world hath suffered long beneath the angel's strain have rolled 2000 years of wrong and man at war with man. hears not the love song, which they bring. Oh, hush the noise ye men of strife and hear the angels sing. Mm. It's very much a hymn of peace. Isn't it? Yes, it is. So part of the, part of what I discovered in, uh, thinking about this hymn and doing a little bit of background research is that it's considered to be interesting for a Christmas hymn, one of the first hymns associated with the social gospel movement in the United States. So the social gospel movement was um, uh, 
really developed around several major figures. And these were people who were extremely outspoken about the abolition of slavery, about the equality between men and women, and their, uh, their concern for the unity of the nation. And of course, Sears is writing at a time when the Civil War is about 11 years away at the time when he writes this hymn. So there's already a lot of strife and dissension that's building. Mm -hmm. And uh, so it makes sense that he references peace so many times. It's, I, I didn't count the number of references to peace, but they're, they're there sprinkled all throughout the hymn. And uh, I think it's interesting that he himself was so outspoken. When I think about what's been going on in our country over the last eight or nine months with the Black Lives Matter movement and people raising their voices around you know, the end of all kinds of discrimination, well, Sears would love it. He'd love to think that his hymn is still being sung here in the year 2020, of course, in the midst of a global pandemic, and uh, but it's raising up the same social justice concerns that he had. I had no idea that his uh, that his work was part of that movement, and he expressed that both in his poetry, but also in his sermons and his writings. Mm -hmm. And uh, Leslie, I don't know if you had also come across this, but by 1847, at which point he was still a relatively young man, he was in his late 30s, apparently he came into a period of very deep depression. Mm. And he wrote this hymn at that time. And I was, it made sense when I went back and read the hymn again, because the number of references in this hymn to weariness, sadness, toil. He talks about painful steps and slow. You get a sense that it, this might have been written by a man who was just coming out of, maybe coming into a period of recovery mm -hmm. and was writing not only about the national scene, but his own personal life. So I'm guessing here, and yet that seems to have been a pretty prominent feature of his life, that he really had this struggle so much so that it shaped his career choices. He was uh, he also had some kind of physical challenge because he was unable to speak to large gatherings. And that limited him to serve his service to small parishes where he was very comfortable. He, he took that advantage to write and, and think and create. Yeah, that makes so, a lot of sense. That idea of the peace in the midst of midst of strife, I think, is yeah. something we can all connect to on a lot of levels right now, for sure. Yeah. Um, so he he wrote this text in uh, in 1849, and then a year later, a composer by the name of Richard Storrs Willis took it upon himself to give it a tune. Um, and so I have a few few fun facts about Willis. Great. Um, and he was born in Boston. Now we know that that Edmund Sears spent his fair time in Massachusetts as well. So it seems likely that their paths could have crossed. Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. So uh, Willis was actually a student of Yale College. So we have a Yale connection too. We we have a, we have a double connection with this with this. Isn't hymn. that interesting? It's not funny. So I will say Yale. So Yale College. Fun fact, Yale College is the undergraduate school of Yale University. So I went to Yale University, went to get my master's there at um, the Yale School of Music and uh, part of the Divinity School where I got my degree in sacred music. And um, so he was at Yale College as an undergraduate in 1841 and was a member of the Skull and Bone Society 
And if you have not seen the Skull and Bones building, it is everything you want a secret society building to look like. (laughs) It is like out of a scene of a movie. It is magically chilling. So if you... (laughs) Do look it up when you have a spare moment because it is just, <laughs> it sets your Im- imagination wild walking past uh, it. And it's like, you know, it's, it's in a tiny street that you yep. wouldn't really use because it doesn't really head anywhere because it's a, it dead ends right into the, the library quad. So you're not really, you can't get anywhere useful with it. Oh, there's always good parking to be found on that little side street. Okay. Um, but it's like dark and then you go under a uh, part of a building that's an underpass and it's on the left and there's the windows are like slits. Like you're going to be shot with an arrow at any oh. moment. I mean, it is fabulous. So I, I evoke that wonderful sense of mystery. <laughs> um, so after he had time with those, that wonderful secret society, he went to Germany to study composition and then actually became really good friends with our friend, Felix Mendelssohn, which some of us might have heard of. Uh, Mendelssohn, besides being a wonderful composer in his own right, is famous for bringing back into vogue the music of Johann Sebastian Bach. Um, So we owe him all a huge debt of gratitude. Um, Bach, by the time that he had died in uh, 1750, was considered quite passe. He mm. was, you know, all of his his kids were like, oh, you're writing in the old style. That's that old stuff, you know, in the way that old kids always are when they're parents. Right. So his, his music was sort of not revered to the same degree that I think it is now. And and, and so we, we, so Willis was sort of part of all of that. So it was a really uh, exciting right. time in music, uh, especially in Germany. Um, sure getting that music out there. So he, he wrote the, the, the tune to this. And from what I can tell also the, the harmon, har, harmonization, that's hard to say. Um, and so I just, it's such, it's such a beautiful, it's a very complex tune. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. We think about hymns often with very strict, steady quarter note kind of things in the sort of the shaker style of mm-hmm. singing where things are are very metered and and um straightforward and this tune is lilting and mm. jumps around and you have an octave leap on the third line of it which is not easy to sing this i would not consider this an easy to sing carol right. um but it just has such a um an interesting we have a you know it's in the version I have is in B flat. And then we have a moment where we have a D major chord, which mm. what is that doing there? That's a special, a special moment of musical harmonization magic. Um, oh. And so it's just, it's such a great, a great use of music, bringing the text out, I think, because it, it, it gives this sort of like almost like a, a, a babbling brook stream of just this flowing, mm of you know this flowing of the music i think i think brings along that idea of the angels singing um and the peace on earth because it just it just it sort of flows and dances in a way that we don't often see i think Mm -hmm. in a lot of um very popular popular uh hymns thinking as as an example to what i'm saying with like the straightforward think about like joyful joyful Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. Like the most exciting thing we have in there is a dotted quarter note and an eighth note. Like, 
going wild. <laughs> and this is in six eight, which is just a very, I think of it as a round meter. Everything just sort of flows and moves with itself. And I, I just think it's beautiful. I think it's such a wonderful, wonderful way to, to set this text. Because you could do it in so many different ways. You could sing this tune, this, excuse me, you could sing this text to a number of different tunes. Mm -hmm. um, but this one, of course, is the best, I think. In my well, I love I love the way you describe that in the background you provide because it it makes me think differently about the the hymn and also about the overall composition. I think one of the things that I've been thinking about since rereading it, there's something about the way that the music really works so well with the text because there is a I don't want to say there's a mournful quality in it, but there is there's a recognition in this in the text that life is not easy. Mm -hmm. There's weariness, there's toil, there's painful steps and slow. And you think this is a Christmas care. You know, this, <laughs> we're going to use this to brighten our spirits. Right. And yet, as you say, there is something beautifully flowing about it that keeps us moving through that. So it's as if the music is trying to help us understand what the text is also saying, which is keep moving through those experiences, even mm. though they're hard, right? Yeah. And yes, they're painful steps and slow, but you're still walking. You know, you get this sense that there's still movement in there. And again, I'd like to think maybe this is something he's saying to himself uh, as he's working his way through his own struggles. But I think about this as... Uh, as something as, as words and music beautifully combined that really speak to our time. Uh, you know, I've, I've heard in the last few days, as more and more information has come, come forth about a vaccine, the lifting of spirits, you know, people are saying, Oh, I'm beginning to feel a sense of hope and optimism and so on. We still know that we've got, we've got some time in front of us and there are uncertainties along the way. And yet uh, to me, music like this really inspires the kind of faith that can move through a time like this, however long it takes for us to realize a vaccine and get it out to people and all of that, you know, there's so much that needs to happen, obviously going forward. But what a really interesting hymn to sing at this time when we're going through this right now. Um, Absolutely, yeah. And for, I think for myself and my fellow church musicians, we normally start Christmas music so early in the mm -hmm. year and mm -hmm. due to everything, I think I've started it later, at least working with our amazing soloists. They don't need quite the lead time that our choir needs. So I've been, I, we've been rehearsing and recording it later this year. And then, um, you know, decorating for Christmas right after Thanksgiving. I'm one of the purists. I stick with it, but do it in October. I don't care. Um, <laughs> but I, we did, we turned out, you know, we, we brought all the bins down from the attic and, and I thought to myself, do I really, do I really want to listen to Christmas music? Do I, am I ready? Do I feel ready? Uh -huh. I thought, no, it's the tradition. You listen to Christmas music while you decorate, right? That's the thing. And I turned it on and I kept it going for like six hours oh, because, you know, yeah. I was just hearing everything in such a different way. Yes. Um, yes. You know, yeah. all the familiar texts. And I've, I've been really seeking out new recordings of, of Christmas music, too. Mm -hmm. I mean, you can't replace Bing, but you need, you, he needs some friends <laughs> in the playlist. That's right. Bing so, and company. Yes, Bing and company. So I'll, I'll be sharing with you guys. Um, I'll put on Spotify uh, some playlists I've been enjoying 
uh, hopefully you guys can enjoy too. There's oh, some great good. albums that I've, I've found that have been really, really fun and just new, new settings, which is nice. Yeah. Um, did you hear that? Like you said, we hear that text in a different way and um, we look at it in a different way. I think only, not only because of the new settings, but also just because of we're so different this year. Everything's yes. so different this year. So I think our, we're listening differently too. I think that's very true. And I think that what you're describing is a little bit of a practice, you know, of bringing out those traditions, right? Bringing out the ornaments, decorating, those things can have a tremendous value to us this year. And sometimes that, you know, the best traditions or spiritual practices are the simplest ones. Um, and I was so struck when I was rereading this uh, hymn yesterday, there's a line here that's very interesting. It says, look now, for glad and golden hours come swiftly on the wing. Mm. And there's this really a sense of urgency, you know, look now, you don't need to wait for good things to come down the road. There are already some pretty marvelous things that are taking place. And um, this is a real stretch. And I, I doubt that this is a connection that was probably in his mind when he was writing it. But even though there's no reference to Jesus uh, in this or the birth of Christ in this hymn, uh, of course, it's full of references to angels. I really love that. And angels, you know, that's the the little that's the hint of transcendence. There's there's mystery here, right? Something mm -hmm. we can't. It, it invites our curiosity and our wonder. There's an actually, and this is the thing that he may not have thought about. Would have been really cool if we found out that he did. But there's a story in the book of Genesis about a woman named Hagar who is linked to Abraham and Sarah. And she's the, basically the, the servant of these two people. And they were supposed to have a child and it didn't happen. So Abraham and Hagar had a child together. This was going to be their, their plan, right? To fulfill God's dream that they would have their own child. And then there was jealousy and Hagar was sent out away from the camp with her little boy, whose name was Ishmael. And she thought they weren't going to live. And she heard the voice of an angel who basically directed her to look. Mm -hmm. And when she looked, she found a well of water. And the water kept them alive. And then God looked after them. And they went out and formed, of course, their own destiny. But I was thinking about, here's, here's a biblical example of where this voice comes out of nowhere that says, hey, look over there because there's water. Mm -hmm. And here's a voice in this hymn that's saying, Look, look around you at the things that are going on, at the people in your life, uh, you know, at the at the at the good things that may be happening, and and of course, all these wonderful research scientists are doing everything in their power to make this vaccine available. So I think this is really the to me, this is the lingering good news of Edmund Sears. You know, he's sort of reaching out to us across all these years to say, look now for some some really wonderful things are still happening in the midst of all of the very, very great challenges that have been taking place over this, these past uh, months. Absolutely. And I'm, I'm smirking because that was one of the best segues I've ever seen into <laughs> discussing our spiritual practice for the day. Oh, great. Our spiritual <laughs> practice for the day. So yes, here we go. Well, I was thinking about another uh, hymn, which we use. Uh, when we light our Advent candles at uh, at Round Hill Community Church. So we light one candle during each week for faith, hope, love, and joy. And uh, the words of that hymn, one candle is lit, 
are also it's some very interesting poetry, but come surely, Lord Jesus, as dawn follows night, our hearts long to greet you as roses the light. Salvation draw near us, our vision engage, one candle is lit for the hope of the age. I've been thinking, Leslie, about how simple it is to bring a little added light into our lives, like the Christmas tree you're decorating, or to turn on a light at night, a favorite light next to a favorite chair, or to light a candle. And when we do that, to do that with an added intention that God is with us and God is for us, just a simple reminder, however we light that light, just to say, God is with us. God is for us. And the light, of course, that you know, eternal symbol of God's presence, of the transcendent, that, that can be such a helpful way of bringing some, some faith and hope and love and joy into our lives. So that's the simple spiritual practice. Add a little light, but do it with a little intention. Just think what it means to say God is with us and God is for us. Well, that's wonderful. I will look forward to doing that all week long. Thank you for that, Ed. No, you're welcome. Thank you for all the richness of this hymn that you've brought to us. It's a beautiful hymn, and we are so excited to take you through a few more hymns as December rolls on. So we look forward to seeing you back here next week. We do indeed. Thank you so much, Leslie. Thanks, Ed. Thanks for listening. Round Hill Radio is brought to you by the friends and members of Round Hill Community Church. For more information, please visit roundhillcommunitychurch.org.